this morning as we are going through the second part of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And um, it's really important for us to understand how it is that the Apostle Paul, uh, he was joyful, he was content, he was full, he was resourceful, and he was at peace. And there is nothing that could deter him from walking consistently with the Lord. There was nothing that was holding him back. We're going to learn about that this morning. Um, Also in this morning's um, text, we're going to see uh, basically his apostolic credentials, you could say. And for us, what we need to pull from this is, is how it applies to us as Christians. Really what should be exemplified in our lives as being the credentials that somewhat prove um, that we are truly in Christ and living to glorify Him. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says this, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. Father, we boast in no other but you. And yet, Lord, the church is full of people who are being deceived by those who boast in themselves. They are being distracted and led astray. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, to understand, to comprehend, to heed your word. To stand fast in the truth and not be moved, not be swayed, not be convinced otherwise of the truth that you have laid out for us in the Bible, your word. Lord, may we have these same credentials, Lord, in our lives. That we may live out that which we profess, that we proclaim to others. May our words be consistent with our actions. And may you be honored and glorified. I pray that you would strengthen each person here. That as you do give us understanding, Lord, that that would resonate in our hearts as we go home this morning. As we go about our lives this week. Again, that that would be a sanctifying work. Continuing to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Having the same passion and the same desire to do your will as Paul did, and more perfectly looking at the one who fulfilled you, the Father's will, perfectly, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we lay ourselves before you and ask, Father, that you would speak to us intimately and personally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was an Indian in Arizona that heard his first Christian sermon. And then he was asked for his opinion, and he replied, Big wind, loud thunder, no rain. I also heard of a pastor who was auditioning for a church out in the Midwest in Missouri. And the person who was, it was a, a, an interesting, fascinating introduction of this pastor and in, in some churches, what you do is, is you go, if there's an opening for a pastoral role, and you, you audition for the role by um, going before the board and auditioning as in coming up, and they'll give you a Sunday morning. Have at it. Let's see how you do. And so this person was being introduced, touched uh, on a few things uh, regarding his academic accomplishments, and then said, he says he's a preacher, We'll find out. <laughs> Step down. Can you imagine being introduced like that? <laughs> Woo! All right. Hey, nothing like a good support and vote of confidence, right? He says he's a preacher. We'll find out. As Christians, what we should always strive for is genuineness, growth, and gentleness. And I know that it will come if the person is consistently given to prayer, reading, and fellowship, and humble brokenness before the Lord and before others. That's very important for us to not only um, read about it, not only to pray about it, but it's also to walk it out in our own lives. And by the way, that's, 
That's God's sanctifying work. And you kind of test it when you go out and, and put it into action. You realize that we, you know, we fall short often. And so then we go back to the, to the Word of God. And we allow Him to continue to sanctify us. As Christians... We don't want to be like the guy that preached that sermon that had big wind, loud thunder, and no rain. And rest assured, people will find out whether you are really a Christian by the way you live your life, or they may get the wrong impression of what one should be by how you live your life. Hopefully not the latter, and hopefully the former is approved in the way you live your life. It's It's proven, right? Now, Paul was in the middle of addressing issues with the Christians in Corinth about how they were being fooled by some of the self-proclaiming super-apostles, is what he was calling them. You know, these guys that were saying they were something when they were really nothing. And they were saying that about themselves, these super-apostles. They were charismatic, they were eloquent in speech, but were as deceiving as a serpent, They were leading the Christians astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, proclaiming a different Jesus, a different spirit, and as the Apostle Paul wrote, a different gospel. There is no real different gospel. There is no different Jesus. There is no different spirit. There is one gospel. There is one spirit. And there is one and only Jesus Christ. And he told them, In verse 4, he says, you put up with it readily enough. That was the heart of Paul. He was was beside himself. He had this righteous indignation. He was filled with anger because of what they were allowing these people to do to them. He was telling them, you know the truth. You need to stand in in the truth. You need to stand fast. How is it that you can so easily be swayed and deceived and brought down a path that you know very well is not right. And now Paul is about to begin to give them his quote-unquote, and I need to put them in quotes, credentials of an apostle of Jesus Christ because he begins one way, but he goes down another road. We need to understand that. His genuineness as a Christian is not proven by his academic achievements or even his pedigree. You know, the the line that he came through, that wasn't it. But something else that many today do not see as strong evidence of a true relationship with Jesus Christ, his suffering and steadfast joy and hope in the Lord. Those are the things that were evidenced in the Apostle Paul's life. He says, I'm going to point to those, but through the experiences that I have gone through in my life. I mean, I'd like to be able to tell you that everything in life will be perfect. You know, hey, just come to Christ. And, you know, if you have enough faith, you will have health, wealth, and prosperity. You'll do fine if you just have enough faith. Name it and claim it, proclaim it, stand on it. Walk through it. That's not true, though. I, I, can't, I can't stand up here and tell you those things because it's not true. It may very well be that the Lord blesses you with that, but I'll tell you what. You really learn the character of a man when you give him power, when you give him money, when you give him position. That's when you learn of someone. I, I know years before... In, in, uh, in management, I remember seeing some guys that it's like sometimes it was good. You, you can see them and, okay, they're, they're ready to go and the, you promoted them. They're, they were in the next level of leadership. Others you could tell and they're, you look at them and you can say they're green. They can't, they can't handle that next step. Although they're almost there, that's not for them. You'll ruin them. And then others to where you put them in that position, you elevate them, and then you're like, wow, you're amazed. Yeah, you, it went to your head, and it didn't work out, right? 
You're tested with that. You're tested with even what you have right now, what you've been blessed with. How are you using it? Is it all to God's glory? What about those things that you don't have? What about the really rough circumstances that you find yourself in right now? Are you proving that you are a child of God, even through those circumstances? Sometimes we're waiting for things to get good. And then we're telling other people, misrepresenting God, by saying, if I just get here, if I just get married, if I just have that job, if I just, if I just, if I just... No, no, no. In the midst of all of that... You need to be displaying the grace of God in your, your life, a strength and a steadfastness in His truth, all throughout their, those circumstances. So I can't tell you that everything will be perfect in Christ, that you will have no real issues, and the amount of your faith in God will reveal itself by your financial, health, and material status. I'd be lying to you. Paul speaks about the true Christian credentials that demonstrate a genuine faith. Let's see what he writes here, beginning in verse 16. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear it with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts, uh, puts on airs, or strikes you on the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Too weak for that. <sighs> I find it interesting how some people respond to a pastor that doesn't have the academic credentials they expect would prove that they are capable and competent. Uh, I'm telling you, not always a paper on the wall will say that a pastor is competent and capable. They may not be called, although they have all the academic credentials. They've gone through all the schooling. They've gone through everything. I tell you that... um, in fact, um, I, I grabbed a handful of guys, and we're going through doctrine, right? It's like we're going through some words that uh, you, it's like you have to look them up. Uh, what's pneumatology? What's ecclesiology? What's all of these things? And what's interesting is that all of these subjects are covered in the classes that are within a Master's of Divinity or an MDiv, Right? And, and we're covering those things. It's not because of a certificate on the wall. It's because we want to be equipped for the work of the ministry. We want to be solid in the truth of God's word. We don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wave. We want to be able to stand fast in the word of God. It's also just as interesting to me to witness how some people respond to people who boast about themselves and arrogantly proclaim that they are, quote-unquote, the best in whatever they do. It's like this, this confidence, but it's not, it goes beyond confidence. It's this, it's this arrogance. It's this, um, this pride. It's interesting. It's fascinating to me because I think, do you not see what like, I'm seeing, you know? Do you not, you don't see through it? You know what I'm talking about? Is this making sense? Okay. Paul wasn't such a person. Even here within Paul's sarcasm, you can sense that he wasn't comfortable doing what he was doing. Paul does desire to be heard, but not by the world, in the sense to where he wants to be brought up in the world. He wants to seek status and prestige and honor within the world. He didn't want it for that. He wanted, first of all, for his brethren to hear what he had to say, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
to stand fast in the truth, to not be moved. That's how he want, wanted to be heard. That's what he wanted to be, uh, what, what he wanted others to hear through him. It wasn't for personal gain, but for the sake of his brethren. And Paul is about to list his own credentials, and he feels like he is boasting, but he's asking them to listen carefully to him. And you'll see in a few moments how Paul, even in his foolish boasting, can't help but point to Jesus Christ. It wasn't for, you know, hey, look at me. I'm Paul the Fabulous. Um, He was once like that. And he was known as Saul of Tarsus. But not Paul. Not the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 4.5, he wrote... For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. But Paul does feel like it's necessary to boast a little for their sake. You see, they had been receiving the boasting of false teachers. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to boast a little bit. This is foolishness. I understand, but it's for your sake. Because you gladly bear with the fools that boast according to the flesh. And then Paul sarcastically tells them, being wise yourselves. And he's saying, man, you, you yourselves are saying that you are wise and you're gladly bearing them. You're gladly receiving them. You're gladly hearing them. Well, listen to me for a few moments here while I boast. Paul also lists out what they put up with through these self-proclaimed super apostles, as we read through these verses here, he says, listen, this is what you put up with. They make slaves of you. Accepting bondage as these were people who placed burdens and requirements on the people, these additional rules would not be according to grace and response and a proper response to salvation, but rather they would exercise basically an authoritarian bondage. They would put more weight on them. They would say, Yes, it's this and. Whenever someone gives you, hey, this is salvation. Yes, it's through Jesus, but it's also this. No. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is it. It's a free gift. It's, it's God's grace. It's, it's not and. The gospel is Jesus. It's Him. We are saved through Jesus Christ. And by him alone. And I find it interesting that these Christians would listen to these men who did not have any personal interest in them. They were just coming by, and they were coming by for their own financial gain, position, power. They allowed themselves to be devoured, consumed, consumed, taken advantage of. They were allowing themselves for this to be done to them. They were bearing it as they put on airs. They were impressing others by proclaiming to possess a greater importance and talent than they actually possessed. Saying they were something, again, that they were not. And Paul said, hey, you even take being struck in the face. What's wrong with you? This was common, by the way, in those days. And this was for those in authority that considered others to be ungodly. So it's not common today. So if you're, if you're looking at someone else and saying, you know, you were a bit ungodly, I'm going to go ahead and strike you in the face. Just restrain yourself from doing that. We don't do that today. But it was common. It was common in those days. And they allowed these people to strike them in the face. This is all worldly boasting that Paul is describing. The people are putting up with this. The people are receiving it gladly. They were so impressed with all of this that they were being deceived in their thoughts and were being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm telling you, this is happening today. It wasn't just happening in the church of Corinth. It's happening in the church of the Lord today, in the church of Christ today, here in this area, being led astray, being deceived. You remember the Branch Davidians? 
David Koresh, 1993. There's an article in USA Today dated April 20th, 1993, that had a headline reading, Koresh ruled with scripture, fear, and charisma. David Jewell, as a father of a former Branch Davidian, said of Koresh, he had the capacity to discern your emotional weaknesses and capitalize on that. He had this incredible ability to turn your head around. One writer said, inside the Waco compound, Koresh set all the rules, convincing his followers that God had talked to him. He convinced the men that he, Koresh, had a right to sleep with their wives and daughters, even those as young as 12. And David Koresh said, quote, if the Bible is true, then I am Christ. This, this is what I'm bewildered by. Truly. It's like, how? How can you... How can you read the word and still be fooled? And, and I think most of the people are, are only fooling themselves. They're not picking up the word. They're not reading it in context. They're not understanding what the truth is. And therefore, they're being fooled into like things like this. What was it that happened down in San Diego some years ago? And a bunch of people committed suicide? Is in North County, right? Yeah, it, it, it just baffles me. It baffles me. People proclaiming to be something that they are not. These super apostles, like these titles within some of these churches of, of prophets, and, and they're safe, self-proclaimed. And Paul says in verse 21, And he says, speaking to these Corinthians, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Too weak for that. I'm so glad that he demonstrated that he was too weak for that. I'm, I'm telling you, on one side, for pastors, there's a danger, okay, of trying to seek and fill the pews with all kinds of different methods that will do that. You can't you know what? As far as God's word is concerned, we are to be faithful to teach it. That's all we're called to do. To tend to and feed the flock. That's what we're called to. Not my flock, not any pastor's flock, it's the Lord Jesus Christ's flock. And we are to be faithful to him in ministering the word to you. As he sees fit, if you take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, who is it who adds to the church? It's the Lord. It's not anyone else. It's not our brilliance. It's just proclaiming the truth of God's word. That's it. Paul couldn't do it. Paul's about to boast, but not how they may have thought he was going to boast. And he was about to prove through this boasting that he was truly an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this list of sufferings. This is how he proves it. Verse 16, or uh, 21, the, the second portion of it. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You get the idea? We're going to stop there for a moment. This this was... Okay, so... These are my credentials. He was telling the Corinthians. 
These are my credentials. I dare to boast as a foolish madman. Here it is. Hebrew? Check. Israelite? Check. Offspring of Abraham? Check. Servant of Christ? Not only check, but I'm a better one than they are. Check, 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 all of that. And then he pauses for a moment. As if he couldn't, he couldn't go on any longer. He's like, this is, this is foolish. This is, this is crazy. I, I'm boasting in, in myself. I cannot go any further. There's no way. He says, I'm talking like a madman. Like I'm out of my mind. You see, Paul knew that this was not what made him an apostle or a follower of Jesus Christ. He knew that. He says, all these things, they don't make me a follower of Jesus Christ. Not at all. Remember that before he went into this, Paul said, I'm speaking as a fool. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the, the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You see, Paul, even through this, the inspired Word of God gives us hope. The Lord is very clearly laying out, hey, this is where you place your hope. It's, it's not in these things that, that people display as uh, being charismatic, as being eloquent in speech. All of those things, if they don't, aren't matched up with simply the Word of God in telling you the greatness of God and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then it's of no worth whatsoever. Zero. And so this is teaching us. This is helping us understand. A servant of Christ? The super apostles refer to this as more of a title than what it actually was. A servant or a minister, as we look at here, is the Greek word diakonos, which means a humble servant. Here's a better description of it. It's a menial worker. Menial worker. You, de- you desire to be great? Be the least. You desire to be first? Be the last. Serve all people. For the Lord did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Right? He, he's our example. You, you look at Jesus Christ, you look at his life, he gave himself fully to the will of the Father, serving everyone, and at one point, all mankind on the cross. He died on our behalf. No, this is not a title of exaltation or privilege. Not at all. At the same time, we need to heed what Scripture says about leaders within the church. We need to hold that intention, understanding that as well. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, Hey, listen, like I have a vested interest in you. I have your best interest at heart. Just, just listen. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to lord this over you. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise only to proclaim the truth to you and allow you to see it for what it is. May the Lord give you understanding of these words. Don't get fooled. I, I desire for you not to be fooled, for you not to be deceived. And this is what he had in his heart. This is what he was doing. He was keeping watch over their souls because he knew that he would have to give an account to the Lord someday. He would have to give an account Verse 23. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? No one worked harder than Paul. In fact, it was thought that no one had traveled as extensively as Paul. Now, there, there weren't planes, trains, and automobiles in that day. No motorcycle. There, there was nothing like that. 
And he traveled no less than 18 journeys are, uh, are written out for us to see in the pages of Scripture that Paul took, went on. 18. Those are just the ones that are recorded in the Bible. That's amazing. These were the apostolic credentials he was pointing to. All of these things that he laid out for us. For you and I, seriously, I mean, think about it. All those things that he went through. I think many of us would not last one week in Paul's shoes. One week. He was close to death on more than one occasion. Shipwrecked. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and have persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Imagine that. And you know what he did? When he, when he rose back up and he stood back up and the disciples were there with him, he, he didn't go in the opposite direction. He went, he went right back into town. Talk about the bulldog of Christianity, right? It's amazing. He went right back in. You gave me your best shot and you still couldn't keep me down. He's ready for round two. All of these things simply point to a hard and stressful life. I, I really don't want to focus in on any one of those. You can read through them through the book of Acts and um, some of the letters that he, other letters that he wrote. That's, that's not the point, okay? I want to give it to you in context. You want to break it down? Your homework for this week can be breaking it down and looking at those individually within Scripture. I want to give you a bigger picture here. I don't want to lose the point that Paul's making here. He's saying, hey, I lived a stressful life. I lived a life that was hard up to this point. And it, it's not done. This was all as a missionary. He traveled and preached the gospel. He planted churches and he encouraged the brethren. That's what he did. But listen, just having a hard life doesn't prove that anyone is a true minister of Jesus Christ because there are many people who have difficult lives but are in no way servants of Jesus it's just a difficult life. You see, Paul could have lived, lived differently. I mean, think about this. He could have chosen not to, I mean, at, at, at the first sign of difficulty, he could have taken the back door, exit, and I'm out. I would rather go back to living the life that I used to live. But he didn't do that. He chose to live this because this was the will of the Lord. The Lord made that very clear to him. He didn't quit. When things got difficult, he didn't say, this isn't what I signed up for. Sometimes it's as easy as that to have someone back down from a life with Christ. It's too hard. This is not for me. In serving the Lord... This is not what I signed up for. I'm quitting. There's a lot of people that quit all the time. All the time. I've seen too many people do that. And nobody can prove to me otherwise. Because it's happening all the time. All the time. Paul freely chose to serve the Lord even if it meant experiencing hardship. Standing fast. It was all for the glory of God. And Paul could live this way because he truly realized and knew that he had died to himself and was a man with integrity that lived what he preached. He lived it out. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He knew he owed his entire life, everything to the Lord Jesus. Everything. Every ounce of life, every breath that he took was for the glory of the Lord. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What can you do to a man like this? The answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do to him. At, at the point where you're taking his life, he will be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll be crying out, repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he died for your sins, was buried on the third day, rose from the grave. And he ascended to glory and he's coming back again. Believe, believe, believe. You couldn't do anything to a man like this. You can't keep him down. No set of circumstances could change his life or change his message. Nothing at all. Do you want to know why many Christians are depressed, discouraged, and distracted? Because they don't have the mind of Christ. They truly don't. They have the mind of the world, but they don't have the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's all according to the Word of God. That's why I can't tell you enough. Get into the Word and stay in the Word. Do not depart from the Word. Every day, get in there. Know what God is saying. Know His character. By the way, there's a movie. And it's, it was a really popular book. And it's a really popular movie. And it's a really dangerous movie. I'm not here to you know, win friends and influence people. But I will tell you very honestly, the shack is no good. Okay? It, it, it completely misrepresents who God is. And for those that are undiscerning, I would further warn you that if you do go to see the movie, you may be deceived. You may look at Papa and think, oh, that's the one that I've been longing for. When it, it's a she? I mean, it's... It's, like it's, it's a misrepresentation all the way around. Okay, so just a warning. I know Facebook live, and it'll be recorded right now. It's, and you can, look, you can look at it. You can look at everything that, that surrounds it. Make sure you take a look also at the author in his life and where he stands as far as theology is concerned. Not good. Not good. So test all things. Alan Redpath said, such is the price that Paul paid. How does that react upon you? Do you congratulate yourself that you have escaped it? One week of such living and we would be done. But Paul went through it for a lifetime and gloried in his infirmities. He gloried in his infirmities. No, a man like this could not be killed. He was willing to give his life for the sake of Christ's glory. Apart from this, verses 28 and 29, is this deep concern for the local churches. And that's what he was expressing there. And apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul could not escape the burden he felt toward the churches and what they were dealing with. This, this should be a burden for us. The church and what we're dealing with. We should, we should be overwhelmed with that. Acutely aware. Paul said he understood weakness because he, he's weak. He, he admitted, he confessed, I'm, I'm weak. I know I'm weak. Saul of Tarsus is now Paul, the little 
And he gladly received that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have no doubt that sometimes we hear of these kinds of credentials and we think, are they really strong? Like, yeah, they're very strong. They're content wherever it is that the Lord has them. I'm amazed at the little that some people have and all that they're experiencing and they rejoice in the Lord. What they've lost in the midst of even health trials and they're rejoicing to live as Christ, to die as gain. That, this is the worst that it, as Christians we will experience right here, right, right now. One day, brothers and sisters, we will be in all of God's glory. We will be in heaven, not because I say, but because God said. Paul knew this all too well. He said, who is made to fall and I am not indignant? What does this mean? means that he was angry. When, when he would see brothers and sisters fall, stumble, be deceived, he was indignant. He was angry. But it wasn't at them. It was toward those who were deceiving the brethren. His heart went out to those who had been deceived. His desire and passion was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But it wasn't to have a busy and active church that people would want to come to. Oh man, they have the great, and just, just fill in the blank. Sometimes we pick churches like that, right? If they have this, this, and this, then we're there. No, it's not just to be busy. The things that we do is truly... Ephesians chapter 4, take a look at it. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Because if we equip the saints for the work of the ministry, it's just in this great big cycle we we mature to the fullness of Christ. Everyone's working together, serving. That's what it turns into. And as we serve and we continue to grow in the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the gospel is proclaimed. There's, There's people come to faith, and then it comes back around. And it comes back around. And that's how it works. No, for the Apostle Paul, it was to build them up spiritually to maturity in the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. These things were Paul's credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It was a difficult life that demonstrated an unshakable faith and a joy that went far beyond his circumstances. And lastly, verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of these things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. It's interesting what Paul addressed in the last, this last portion of this chapter. Boasting like this, a humbling times, that's what I'm going to boast about. It's not about, it wasn't about his greatness. Um, At that point, he didn't possess any greatness. He was lowered in a basket down to the floor on the outside of this city. No, it wasn't about his greatness. It was about the Lord's greatness. It's about God's grace, his power, and his love. Paul pointed to this one last situation when he first started his journey with Jesus Christ. How did your ministry start? Oh, with a bang. We had like a thousand people for a service. I was like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> that truly is amazing, right? When, when we hear of things like that happening. All glory to God. That, that doesn't mean, by the way, that, you know, the Lord's not in it. That by all means, I'm not saying that at all. That is amazing, but many other ministries start out just like this. Oh, uh, 
they want to take my life. So I was lowered down the back wall at night. A man who had initially gone to Damascus to uh, take the Christians into custody, great pride, very arrogant, left Damascus in a basket. He was a basket case. With great humility, being humiliated. Was this, a, this was a man that uh, his dignity had been taken from him, completely stripped of his dignity. Anything that he may have had was completely gone. Now, he was now boasting of power and glory and grace that didn't come from him. It came from the Lord, from the love of Christ. You see, we talk too much of our own lives when we should talk more about the Lord. Again, he's saying, I, I speak as a madman. I, I can't talk about myself anymore in this matter. I'm going to go down this list of situations that I've encountered and all for the sake of Christ. Whatever it is that he wants to do through me, I'm fine with that. All glory to God. So what are your Christian credentials? I heard this story about uh, Lloyd George. He was a former prime minister of Britain who was confronted by a woman after a speech. She said, before I saw you in person, I thought you were a much taller man. It's always good to have that said of you, right? I see you in person. You're nothing like what I thought you'd look like. All right. To which he carefully replied, Madam, in Wales, where I come from, we measure a man from his neck up, not from the neck down. Brothers and sisters, the Lord doesn't measure us by our looks, not by how we dress, not what we possess materially. We're measured by our lives, by the things we do, uh, the way we speak, how we treat others. But it goes much deeper than that. It's, it's a matter of the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So again, what are your credentials? What proves that you belong to Christ? I hope you thought of those things as we were going through these scriptures. What Paul was boasting of was not something that we would say is that that's, that's a whole list of successful things that you went through. In prison? How many times have you been imprisoned? How many times have you been left for dead? Shipwrecked? By the way, beaten with rods and with these leather straps? Are you humble? Are you concerned about others? Are you concerned about your church? Have you sacrificed anything for Christ? What have you sacrificed for Christ? Everything about us tells about us. But the good thing is this. Here's a good thing. We can come to the end and it could be like, it can be full of conviction. It should be a deep conviction that we feel, that we understand, that we realize But in the same breath, the Lord wishes that through that conviction that there would be a change, a response to it. That's really the whole point. It's not just, hey, man, here it comes. Man, I was hit hard. That's good. I was hit hard too. Trust me. I spent time with the Lord this week and reading this and rereading this and studying it and breaking it down. And I I thought, Lord, you know, I, I get hit first. I really do. And then I just pass that along to you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but that's not the point. It's not like the Lord doesn't wish to hit you. And I feel like I just went down to one knee. I buckled, you know. And like, he's not saying good. He doesn't say that. He says, take my hand. Rise to your feet. He embraces us. Brings us close. If we humbly and with a broken and contrite spirit, come to him. He tells us he will not turn his face from us. He will not despise us. That's what that means. He will not turn his face from us. He will embrace us, bring us close, and strengthen us. We just need to submit to him. Would you do that this morning? Are you willing to do that? Because that's what it takes. It takes a a humble, a broken spirit before him for him to bring that conviction and complete it, bring it to fruition to where he's blessed, he's honored, he's glorified. 
And I pray that you are willing to do that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, and I'll close with this, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Lastly, if you do not know salvation in Jesus Christ, you do not know a relationship with him. Your sin separates you from the Father. Jesus Christ came to die in your place. Uh, The word tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he simply says this. Listen, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, he said, you shall be saved. That's it. If a surrender, that's what it takes, a surrender to Jesus Christ, his lordship, you receive that salvation which is by God's grace through faith. You believe that he is the son of God. And then that is proven by the way you allow God into your life, changing your life. His spirit moves in and just does a beautiful work. It's all proven in that matter. How, how do you know that, that you've been saved? You're no longer the same person. You cannot not deny that you, you are the Lord's. You can't. You don't even think the same way. You don't have the same desires. And if you do have the same old desires and you can go back to them over and over again, then you're either a prodigal or you're not his. And I tell you this morning is today's the day of salvation. My prayer for you is, is for all of us that we would simply submit to him and be assured of that hope that lies before us in Christ Jesus. Salvation belongs to him. Father, we thank you, Lord, that um, you are willing to confront us in such simple and clear ways. I do ask that you would help us to express the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that, Lord, we would be gentle and we would be kind and we would be generous. And, Lord, we would, um, Lord, reflect your character to others in our lives. Not, not because we, we want to receive anything, Lord, but because we've received everything in you. I pray also that if anyone here does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning would be a day of surrender, of giving their lives entirely to you, and that in that they find eternal life. They find that they truly are a new creation in Christ. And they have that joy that Paul had, that in all circumstances, they can rejoice. And so, Lord, we we praise you. We love you. Thank you so much for your grace, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.